Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Some of you will remember that uh, as a church, we've had the privilege of planting uh, five others. We announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, number six, James and Jesse, are moving to New York in the uh, next summer to plant another church. And uh, last Sunday, we, uh, last weekend, we visited Christian and Sue in, in, in Pasadena and was an outstanding time, just an absolutely outstanding time. Um, a number of you will know Christian and Sue, and they send their love. They are doing outstandingly well, just doing so good, uh, gathered an incredible group of people. Kingdom of God is advancing. Presence of God is there. Um, super delightful time. But I want to do, uh, uh, just in the light of what James mentioned about the prophetic, I wanted to read uh, two prophetic words that we received while we were there. Christian and Sue got some of their core leaders to pray for us. And um, just in the light of the, the building that we are trusting for, um, as the leadership team prayed for us, other than Christian and Sue, no one else knew that we were trusting for a building or that we are moving into a more diverse neighborhood, which is kind of in response to God's prompting in our hearts. And so I want to read you just two prophetic words that were spoken over Debs and I. Now, the words were spoken over Debs and I, but they represent what we believe to be God's heart for church in the city. So this is just an incredible encouragement for us as we stand in faith for our building, but also a reminder of the value and power and importance of the prophetic. So one word was from a girl called Cammy, and um, she was kind of hesitant to share this word because she wasn't sure whether this was a little bit out there, but this is what she says. She says, um, God said that he trusts their hearts as a son and daughter. Whatever they wanted, he was good for it, and he would write the check. God is their signatory. He showed me that they wanted a building to do the work of the Lord. I saw so many needs being met for people through this building. God said he was going to provide the, the, the means. Isn't that so encouraging? This is from someone who has no idea that we are standing in faith for a building. And then this word uh, on the Saturday that we received, this girl called Krista was praying for Debs. And in the light of us trusting for uh, uh, impact into a more diverse neighborhood, Krista says this. She goes, the picture that I got was of Debs and Jesus spreading out a big blanket in an open park. You, could see the, you couldn't see the borders of the park. Um, felt like this was their territory, and it was really peaceful. Once the blanket was spread out, dishes of food were placed onto it, and the food was a, a total mix match of flavors and ethnic origins. Nothing seemed to really go together. I heard the Lord say, Debs, I want you to feast on diversity. Experience it, taste it, enjoy it. I also felt that God was really expanding their hearts to love those who were very different to them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I just love that, that word. Um, Debs, uh, Debs or church in the city, I want you to feast on diversity. So I share those two things to say this is what we're going to be praying into on Wednesday when we gather um, for our uh, monthly church prayer meeting. But I trust that encourages you. This building has not been our idea. This building has been something God has put on our hearts. And uh, we are super excited to see what God would, would do through it. So with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible or, a, or an iPad or, an, or a smartphone, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6, please. We're going to be um, looking at verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. Um, super, super excited about this morning. I, I'm a little nervous in the sense that um, I feel like God has ministered to me so much. You know when you, you, you know when you get a, like a, God speaks to you and then you go share the word with someone else and they're like, oh, that's really cool, you know? I'm a little nervous that that's going to be the response today. So uh, I feel like God has really challenged me and really spoken to me this morning. Um, and I, I've been praying 
uh, this weekend and uh, this morning that God would really minister to, to each of us um, through, through this particular text. Debs uh, calls me or says to me, um, or she labels me as a fixer. Now, when she says that, she's not meaning in the political sense or in the organized crime sense, you know, the person who's paid under the table uh, to fix other people's problems and sort things out. You'll be, you'll be glad to know that's not what Debs means. And she certainly does not mean when she says that I'm a fixer, that I'm someone who's able to handle DIY, do-it-yourself chores around the house. I am, I am awful at that. If you've been to our house uh, at any time over the last 18 months, you will know that in our guest bathroom, there's this really ugly kind of lump of speckle that I kind of threw onto the wall in an attempt to hide the tiniest hole that was left by an unwanted screw. And it's really one of those situations where the kind of intended result is far worse than the initial problem. I mean, it really is, is awful. And unfortunately, there's one of those in Caden's room, and there's two of those in the girl's room. Um, truth be told, there probably isn't a room in the house that hasn't been scarred in some way by my kind of DIY attempts. And, and people tell me, Steve, just YouTube it, you know, just, just go to YouTube and you'll, and they'll tell you what to do. The problem is when I watch YouTube, the things that they say about the DIY projects that I'm looking for, it's true and it's, and it's helpful and it's right and it's practical, but I have no clue what they're saying. Absolutely no clue. My, my, my ability to, I have no ability to transfer the news or the information that I'm hearing and actually put it into practice. I'm convinced you have a DIY gene or you don't, and I, and I just, I, I don't, I absolutely don't. So, so what Debs means when she says I'm a fixer, she's actually saying I'm not a good listener, because what, 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 what happens is when she tells me, or when she, she pulls me aside and she says, Steve, I, I need to tell you this thing I'm struggling with, or, or I'm working through this particular issue, I'm feeling overwhelmed in this particular way, uh, my go-to response, my go-to posture is to think to myself, how can I fix this? And what I end up doing is telling her things which sound awfully similar to what people tell me that I should do when I'm trying to figure out how to seal my, my windows for winter. They say, go, they say YouTube it. I, she, I'm not giving her what she needs. And very quickly, she can start to shut down. I think every single person here in the room either, either has or is or one day will be anxious or worry. And, and I think, if, if I could hazard a guess, and this is not me being prophetic, but most of us in the room are probably in the is category. You are, you are worrying or anxious about something. And the teaching that Jesus provides in Matthew chapter 6 can sound a lot like someone telling me to YouTube it, or what I try to tell Debs when I say, well, just do this to fix your particular problem. Are you anxious? Jesus says, don't worry. Now, don't shut down. I'm asking you, don't shut down. The tendency is, Lord, thanks, thanks, Lord. Don't worry. That, that, that doesn't mean anything. What, what, what do I do with that? But I would suggest that Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, because of how many people struggle or deal with anxiety, is probably some of his most important, if not most necessary, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6, the section we're going to look at starts in verse 25. And Jesus starts off and he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. About three or four weeks ago, James preached and he reminded us, every single one of us, that we are biblical scholars. So because all of you here are biblical scholars, you will know 
that when you come across the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to stop and ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? You have to ask yourself, what is, what is the context? What is, what, what is the greater context of this passage that I'm about to read? And we need to do that before we can get into the rest of this particular passage. The context of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, is the sermon series that we are currently uh, uh, in. Two weeks to go after today, the, the series, sermon series entitled, Kingdom Come, the way of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been saying week after week, the, the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus describing what it looks like when the kingdom of God invades a person's life. The Sermon on the Mount is, 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 it describes a, a life that has been transformed because a heart has been transformed by meeting Jesus. It's the grace of God that is outworked in and through our lives. And can I suggest that worry doesn't reflect the reality of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And worry and grace don't go together. But the context of do not worry about your life is, is not just the Sermon on the Mount, it's particularly Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is warning us of the dangers of self-righteousness when we do kingdom, or as I said a couple of weeks ago, when we do Jesus-y type things, when we busy ourselves doing the work of the Lord. He says, beware of self-righteousness. Verse 1 of Matthew 6 says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness, not to practice your, your good works or your kingdom works in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you will have, you will, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a remarkable teaching. Jesus is, is saying to us, don't be distracted by, by looking to one another for your reward. Don't be distracted by, by, by looking to one another for, for affirmation. Because if you do that, you, you, you are distracted from the true reward, from the greater reward, which is the knowledge that our Father sees us and knows us and hears us and notices what we do. And we ended off the, those two sermons by asking two very important questions. Firstly, does my generosity reflect God's grace? Does my generosity reflect God's grace? And secondly, does my prayer life reflect an intimate friendship with God? As I've been discovering and saying for so, for so long, the, the, the great result or the, or, or the great reward of, of prayer is not answered prayer, although that's cool and great. The great reward of prayer is intimacy with Jesus. And could I suggest that worry and anxiety don't reflect an intimate relationship with Jesus. It doesn't reflect the, the certainty that God sees me and hears me and knows me. But the ultimate context of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, therefore do not worry about your life, is what James preached last week from verse 19 through to verse 24. And last week, James explained to us that there are two treasures. There are, it's, a, it's possible for us to store up treasures on earth or to store up treasures in heaven. There are two visions. We can have a here and now earthly vision or a still-to-come kingdom, uh, kingdom vision. We can serve two masters, money or God. But we have to make a choice. It's not a buffet. We don't get to choose a little bit here and a little bit there. We're either all in for Jesus and the kingdom of God or we're not. 
It, 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 it exemplifies, I think, what, what, a, what is church in the city's greatest value. All of us, all of me for Jesus. As he so wonderfully said last week, it speaks about a kingdom obsession. That we are to live heavenly risky lives uh, or, or to live in a heavenly risky manner with our earthly lives. And that to me says that we can't be all in for Jesus but yet worry about tomorrow. So with that as the context, let's jump in. And we're, gonna, we're not going to read the whole text, but we're going to work our way through the, the, the passage. So you need to follow along. Yeah, the text will be behind me. Look in your, in, in your Bible, on your phones. We're going to take it verse by verse and see what God would say to us. So starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore, Jesus, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more than clothes. So let me start off by asking you a couple of questions. Has anyone here, by worrying, been able to add an extra hour to your life? Has anyone here, by worrying, been able to upgrade your wardrobe or reduce your grocery bill? Has anyone here, by worrying, been able to add value to the things that you value most? And obviously the answer is no to all of that. The point is, the, the, the kind of thing I'm driving home is, is, has anyone here in any way benefited from worry or anxiety? And obviously the answer is no, which is not surprising, therefore, that Jesus three times would say to us, do not worry, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, do not worry, he says, do not worry, he says, do not worry at the back. He says, I'm not meaning at the back physically, but Jesus is trying to get our attention. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm, I'm personally, this is my conviction. I think scripture supports it, but I'm convinced more than anything, God wants us to trust him. That's, 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 that's my conviction. And so if I can say it this way, if it is true that God wants us more than anything to trust him, I would suggest God wants us more than anything not to worry or to be anxious. And so it's not surprising that he says, don't worry. And it, it, it sounds great. Don't worry sounds great. Well, yes, it does. But let's be honest. Let's be, let's be realistic. It sounds unrealistic. You know, don't worry. It, it's, what, what do we do with that? I, I was reminded of a, of a great SNL skit from about 25 or 30 years ago. It shows my age. Um, if you want to go home, don't do it now. But if you want to go home, you can YouTube it. Um, and it it's stars Bob Newhart, and it's called Stop It. And it is absolutely outstanding. So quickly, the skit is Bob Newhart plays the psychiatrist, and this woman walks into his office, and um, he says to her, I charge $5 for the first five minutes, and I'm free thereafter. And she's a little taken aback, and she asks why, and he says, well, listen, I'm absolutely convinced that the advice that I'm going to give you is, 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 is it's, it's the advice you need to hear. And so kind of they go, she says, well, listen, explain to me your problem. And they go back and forth. But essentially, she says, the problem that I have is that I'm afraid I'm going to be buried alive in a box. And they go back and forth for about two and a half minutes and then eventually says, all right, I want you to be ready. This is the advice that I'm going to give you. She gets out a pen and paper. No, no, you don't need that. Two words. And she's all ready. And he goes, stop it. That's his advice. Stop it. I mean, it's true. But I mean, it's so true that it's like, that's not really helpful. And so she kind of pushes back with him, and he goes, all right, I'm going to give you 10 words. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. That's the, <laughs> that's the skit. 
absolutely outstanding. You need to, you need to Google it. But I think if we're honest, this, this idea of, 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 of don't worry sounds a little like that. It's the, it's the advice that we, that we are desperate to give to others, isn't it? We're desperate to give. I mean, if someone comes and complains, don't worry. Don't worry. But it's the advice we never want to hear from other people because it doesn't make much sense. So we're going to kind of figure out what Jesus is saying. How, how do we not worry? And I think the first thing is to, is to understand that, that worry or anxiety is the fruit. This is very important. Worry or anxiety is the fruit of reaching into tomorrow and dragging the things that we cannot control into the here and now. Reaching into tomorrow and dragging the things that we cannot control into the here and now. I've put it like this. We make tomorrow's issues today's worries. We make tomorrow's issues today's worries. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, do not worry about what you will eat. Do not worry about what you will drink. Do not worry about what you will wear. Future tense. It's all coming tomorrow. Worry comes when we drag the unknown, the uncertainty of tomorrow into the here and now. Now, you might think that food and drink and clothing aren't really concerns for you. Those were concerns for the people of the day. If, if someone from the Sermon on the Mount happened to walk into church in the city right now, they would say, oh my goodness, you guys have got nothing to worry about. But that's not the case. Food and drink and clothing might not be issues pertinent to us, but there are certainly things that we worry about. Jesus is saying to us, don't worry about how you will settle that escalating debt. Don't worry how you will land that job or close the deal. Don't worry how you're going to get that second date or whatever the issue that you are stressed or concerned about. And then at the end of verse 25, Jesus asks a question, and it is so important to, to not think that this is a rhetorical question. Sometimes when we read a text that we are so familiar with, we kind of gloss over, and, and the question Jesus asks at the end of verse 25, I, I, I imagine Jesus pausing for a moment to give the people hearing his sermon time to, to ponder and to consider what he's asking. And we need to do the same. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, and particularly the book of Psalms, a number of times in the book of Psalms, you'll see the phrase sailor or sila, however you pronounce it. And essentially, it's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew word that, that instructs the reader of the Psalm to pause for a moment and to reflect on what has just been said. And this is a sila or sailor moment in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I imagine Jesus doing something like this, therefore... He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Do not worry about your finances. Do not worry about your career. Do not worry about your health or whatever the worry issue is for you. And then the question comes, is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Is, isn't your life worth more than what you're worrying about? Isn't there more to life than the things that consume you? Nothing like some awkward silence to get you thinking about that. But then Jesus begins to 
answer the question. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Now, let's, now again, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something to, to help really drive this point home. As much as you are able, take yourself out of this auditorium and stick yourself on, the, on, a, on a mountainside. And imagine the crowds around you, and imagine the blue sky around you. And, and again, this is maybe just me adding a bit of poetic license, but I, but I imagine Jesus doing this. He's going, he's, he starts off, he goes, look, look, look at the birds of the air. He, he, he's looking for an analogy that would drive the point home. Look at the birds of the air, he says in verse 26. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Sow or reap, or store away in barns, like whom? Like you, and like me. You see, we can anticipate tomorrow. We can sow, and reap, and store away. We can prepare. We can do these things. It's a blessing from God. There's nothing wrong with sowing and reaping. There's nothing wrong with anticipating and responding. There's nothing wrong with hard work and responsibility. When Jesus says, don't worry, look at the birds, see the flowers, we can think this is, he's inviting us to kind of some sort of Zen-like contemplative response, where we're kind of just considering and thinking about things. No, there's nothing wrong with hard work and responsibility. That comes with God's blessing. Look at verse 27, because this is the real issue. Can any any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, The issue is not hard work and responsibility. The issue is worry. The issue is when we try to reach into tomorrow and drag what we cannot control into the here and now when we make tomorrow's issues today's worries. Verse 28, and why do you worry about your clothes? Why do you worry about paying off your, or how are you going to pay off your college loans or whatever the issue is? And again, I, 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 I see Jesus kind of looking around. And he goes, see, see, see how the flowers of the, of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. There again, sow, reap, store away in barns, labor, spin. There's nothing wrong with preparing for tomorrow. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then Jesus ends the, 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 the section, verse 26, about birds and the section on, 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 on the grasses with two questions. Again, don't read them as rhetorical questions. He's asking the hearers. He's asking you and me questions. Look at verse 26. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? And verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You see, the issue of worry is an issue of trust and faith and believing in God. Can we trust God to do immeasurably more for us who are immeasurably more valuable than birds and flowers. By looking and seeing and considering around us the way that God cares for things that are less valuable, it gives us correct perspective. We actually slander the character of God if we believe that God is more concerned about animals and birds and grasses in a field than He is about us. But the ultimate question, the ultimate question is this one. 
Do we trust that God has our tomorrow? Do we trust that God has our tomorrow? Do we trust that God will be in our tomorrow there with His provision? And when the answer is no, when we are honest with ourselves and we say, I don't trust God has tomorrow, that's when we are tempted to reach into tomorrow and take those issues and begin to worry about something that we cannot control. It reminds me so much of what we've learned so far in Matthew chapter 6. We don't have time to look at this, but if you just cast your eyes back to some of the things we learned about giving to the needy and about prayer and fasting, we see constantly this idea that God notices and God sees and God hears, and most importantly, God knows. God knows what we're going through. God knows what we need tomorrow. Again, if you know your Old Testament, it reminds me so beautifully, so powerfully of the account of Abraham and Isaac in in, um, Genesis 32 as they walk up the mountain. Uh, God has instructed Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And this this scene to me is so tender and intimate and poignant. When when the father and son, Abraham and Isaac, are walking up this mountain and, and Isaac turns to his dad and he goes, Dad, where's the lamb? And, and, and Abraham, says, Abraham says, son, God himself will provide. Abraham didn't know where the provision would come from. Abraham didn't know that actually, if you read on, the provision of the lamb was already there. There was a ram caught in the thicket just a little bit away from where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. But Abraham's eyes hadn't yet been opened to the provision of God that was waiting for him in the moment. And Abraham goes up onto the mountain and he's just about to sacrifice his son. And God says, stop, Abraham, there is provision for you. Just over there, there is a ram caught in the thicket. You see, God knew. God saw in advance. God knew what Abraham would need in the tomorrow. And he provided. Do you know the word provide actually comes from two Latin words meaning to see and before? Provide literally means to see before, and that's the goodness of God. The goodness of God doesn't just provide in the moment. The goodness of God sees before, sees tomorrow what we will need and gets it ready for us. Not what we want, what we need. God has my tomorrow. And will be there with his provision, which is why Jesus ends in verse 30, not with a rebuke. It's actually a bit of a light-hearted statement Jesus makes. He says, you of little faith. He's kind of, you know, ribbing them a little bit. Because God has tomorrow, look at verse 31. So, do not worry, saying, what shall, shall, you see future tense. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the pagans, he's meaning everyone else. Jesus is saying, don't act like the pagans. Don't act like everyone else. Don't run after tomorrow like everyone else. You know better. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows, there's that word again, knows that you need them. I'm, I'm convinced, maybe this is just me, but I, I'm convinced that, that 90% of the challenge is just wanting to know that God knows. 
90% of the wrestle, 90% of the cause of worry is, is be, we just want to know that, that, that God knows, that, that God knows what I'm going through, and God knows how I'm feeling, and God knows what I need, and that God wants us to know that he will provide what we need. Just, just imagine for a moment, you, you're, you're, you're in bed, or you've woken up early, and it's quiet in the house, and, and you, you're spending time just thinking, and if, if you're anything like me, you start to worry about tomorrow, and it's literally, you can start, have you had those moments where you literally start to feel worry beginning to fill itself up in you? Have you had those moments? And in the midst of, of you feeling that worry beginning to rise as you think about tomorrow or next week or next month, and, and your head is starting to spin, uh, just put yourself in there and, and imagine if you heard the audible voice of God say this, I know, I've got this. I'm convinced that would settle more than half of the challenge that we, that, that, that we face. And, and, and this is what we're after. And this, can I say, is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us our heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. And so he says, he says, instead of running after tomorrow, instead of, like the pagans, running after what's, what's there tomorrow, he says, do something different. Seek, verse 33, seek first his kingdom. Now, what's interesting is in the original Greek, the phrase run after and seek first are actually the exact same phrase. So Jesus may as well have said, the pagans seek first tomorrow, you run after the kingdom of God. That's essentially what he's saying. So what he's saying is with that same intentionality, that same passion, that same kind of wholeheartedness that the world chases after, all that the world has to offer, Jesus says with that same passion and intentionality, chase after the thing that is far more important, the kingdom of God. And, and, and worry, and at the center of worry is this idea of chasing after something. Chasing after tomorrow, chasing after something that you cannot get. Jesus says, don't chase after that. Chase after his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will, look, future, tense, tomorrow. All these things will be given to you as well. So I'm going to just give you one sentence that I think summarizes this passage, and we're going to come back to it to explain it a bit more at the end of the sermon. But if there's one thing you remember, please remember this. When you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, seek his presence in the present. When you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, when you're tempted to reach into tomorrow and grab hold of things that you have no control over, Stop what you're doing and say, God, how are you at work in the present? Open my eyes to where you are working right here and right now and let me focus on that and I'm going to trust you for tomorrow. Now we're going to come back to that and give a little bit more application at the end of the sermon. Verse 34, Jesus goes on, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. It seems like what I think Jesus is doing is he's relabeling all of our issues under the word tomorrow. Think about your top two or top one, or not top one, you can't have a top one, sorry. Think about your top two or the one issue that you are worried about right now. So just, you know, don't worry about it, but just acknowledge it, you know, 
think about it. Don't reach into tomorrow. Just acknowledge that this is the issue that I'm worried about. Stop it, exactly. Or I'll bury you like, no, no, let me not go there. <laughs> Have that in, the, in, your, in your minds, and this is what Jesus says. Therefore, do not worry about, not, it's, it's not so much the financial issue. It's not so much the relational crisis. Do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because worry comes when we reach into tomorrow and try to control it in the here and now. And I love how he ends. Jesus is such a realist. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to be there. This is what he's saying. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to be there. My provision is here today. My grace. Remember what Jesus says to Paul? My grace today is sufficient for you. My power today will be made perfect today in your weakness. And the same will be true when we get to tomorrow. It's an issue of trust. What if we really believe that God knows what we need today and will be there with us with that same knowledge and provision tomorrow? You see, if we don't really believe that, then essentially where we're putting our hope in is not in our Heavenly Father, but we're putting our hope in worry. And I go back to the original question I asked, what good has worry done for any of us? And the answer is absolutely nothing. In John uh, chapter 14, Jesus begins this incredible uh, few chapters, we're not going to turn there, but... He begins to gather his disciples to prepare them for his death. And if you read John, starting in John chapter 14, there's this incredibly intimate section of, of, uh, of John's gospel where he begins to prepare his disciples for what it's going to look like when he, when he dies. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, it'll be on the screen behind me, he says this to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, he's saying to his disciples, do not worry. And then he gets to the very heart of what worry is. He says, you believe in God, believe or, or trust or, or have faith in me. You see, again, worry, the, the issue of worry is an issue of trust. It's an issue of believing God. And then, and then he teaches on the Holy Spirit and, and he gets to the, kind of towards the end of John chapter 14. And in verse 27, he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. The peace that the world wants to give us is a circumstantial peace. The peace that the world wants to give us is, you know, when your bank account has got money in it and, and, and when the relationship issue has been resolved and, and when the health crisis has been averted, then you are able to not worry. But Jesus says, my peace, my peace, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Do not be afraid. But then Jesus was crucified. And the disciples worried, and they got, became anxious, and they became afraid, and they were scattered, and they ran away. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and when Jesus rose from the dead, and they realized that he had, suddenly, the reality of not worrying about tomorrow made perfect sense. If the person who was able to predict his death and resurrection tells you not to worry about tomorrow, you don't worry about tomorrow. 
That's the reality of what Jesus is saying, which is why Paul, 30 years later, is able to write in Philippians 4, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, present your requests to God and the peace of God, not the circumstantial peace, the peace of God, because God hears, because God sees, because God knows me, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which doesn't make any sense, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Will you choose to put your hope in your heavenly Father, or will you choose to put your hope in worry? Let's end real quick. Two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, I don't know, let's see. Don't worry about how long I'm going to be. Stop worrying. Don't reach in, don't reach in beyond 11.30. Don't go there. Let, 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 let after 11.30 take care of itself. How about that? Three things, real practical. You can jot these down if you want on your phone. Real practical. Number one, this is something that I do over and over again. Number one, get ahead of worry by declaring your trust in God. Honestly, if there's one prayer I pray over and over again, almost to the point where I'm convinced God is tired of hearing it as I say this, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you about 4216 West Belmont. Lord, I trust you about the relational issue. Lord, I trust you about our finances. Lord, I trust you about the, the family's health issue, whatever that might be or whatever. Lord, I trust you about the thing that I'm struggling with at times. You know, whatever it is, we need, we need to get ahead of worry by declaring our trust in the Lord. Get ahead of worry by declaring our trust in the Lord. And God reminded me of this this week when twice in my times with the Lord in the morning, this verse came up twice in one week. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Oh, that just brought such peace. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Get ahead of worry by declaring your trust in God. Secondly, I've mentioned this a little earlier, but start to relabel your worry as tomorrow. Start to relabel your worry as tomorrow. Why? Because it reminds you what worry is. You, we need to remind ourselves what worry is, that idea of reaching into tomorrow, and to, into tomorrow, not the morrow, reaching into tomorrow and grabbing and bringing it, uh, tomorrow's issues becoming today's worries. But it also reminds us of where Jesus will be. Jesus is the in the here and now, but Jesus will be there tomorrow. Remember that word provision? Remember that word provision? Sees before. God sees before what you will need. Relabel your worry as tomorrow. And then lastly, I promise to come back to this. When you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, seek his presence in the present. When you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, seek his presence in the present. When you begin to worry, the point I'm trying to make is let it trigger a kingdom response. Let it trigger a kingdom response. This is what I'm trying to do more and more of. When I begin to worry about finances, I'm driving in the car and I'm beginning to be overwhelmed by some financial issue. What I'm trying to do is to let it trigger a kingdom response. I'm trying to realize that the kingdom is far bigger than my issues. So, so one of the things I'm doing is I try to think about who I can pray for, who I know who's going through a financial crisis. When I begin to worry about whatever the issue is, whenever, when you begin to worry about the issue that you're facing, let it trigger a kingdom response and begin to pray for someone else that you know who's going through that particular issue. Don't do this while you're driving if you have to pull off, but send them a text. 
and say, hey, Gary, praying for you, my friend. Just praying for you, trusting that God will come through for you. You see, it helps us remember that the kingdom is far bigger than just the issues that we're facing. Let the, let the temptation to worry trigger a kingdom response. But I think most importantly, we need to allow the worry or the temptation to worry to lead us to Jesus. And what I mean by that is simply saying, God, I'm beginning to worry about my finances for tomorrow. Would you show me right now where you are at work today? Show me right now where you are at work today and help me get behind what you are doing today. I'm going to trust you for tomorrow. I'm going to worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm going to figure out tomorrow, tomorrow where I know your grace will be. But right now, Lord, show me where you are at work. There isn't a situation we'll ever face where more of Jesus isn't the outcome we need. There isn't a situation we'll ever face where more of Jesus isn't the outcome we need. And so let worry trigger a kingdom response. Get ahead of worry by declaring your trust in God. Relabel your worry as tomorrow. And when you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, seek his presence in the presence. Can I get the worship team up? We're going to end this morning by just going back into a little bit of worship. That refrain, this is how I fight my battles. Um, I, love, I love that song. The presence of God, the ever-present presence of God is how we fight our battles. It's how we overcome the temptation to worry. As the worship team come up, I want to just share this thing with, with you. And what I'm trusting that God would do supernaturally, not in my strength or not in our strength or not because the musicians are going to play, but by the supernatural work of God. I found out this week that the word worry, I believe, is a, is a Middle English word. It has its origins in, 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 I'm not a linguist, so forgive me if I'm saying this incorrectly, but kind of centuries old English. The word worry in centuries old English means this, to strangle to strangle. And if you've been anxious or if you have been worried about anything, you will know that the one thing worry does is it strangles us. It sometimes can strangle our heads to, to the point of, of our heads wanting to explode. Sometimes it feels like a burden on our shoulders where we are overwhelmed by the weight of, of whatever it is we're facing. If you're, if you're like me, sometimes it feels like an unfriendly bear hug that I'm kind of in this kind of, in the grasp of something that is holding me too tightly and I don't know how to break free. And I felt today that God, as we worship, as we, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we ask God to enable us to respond in a kingdom manner, to seek first his kingdom, that, that the faith that I have for us this morning is that God supernaturally would break off the stranglehold of worry as we choose this morning to seek first His kingdom, to lead ourselves into the ever-present presence of Jesus. Don't be tempted to reach into tomorrow and to make tomorrow's issues today's worries. Jesus is there tomorrow. Jesus is here. I know this sounds crazy, but Jesus is there and Jesus is here. His provision is there. His provision is here. 
So can we stand this morning? Let's sing. It's trust for God to do something powerful today. It's trust if you are struggling with anxiety, if you feel that, that stranglehold that anxiety has over you, fix your eyes on Jesus. And let's trust for God to break that off this morning. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.